Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato, and I'm here once again with my friend, Evan Wickham. How's it going, Evan? So good, Aaron. It's good to be back on Good Lion. <laughs> yeah, man. That's the name of the show. I, I'm, I'm fond of it. And I'm fond of you, man. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. You're a fan favorite of the show, man. People uh, write me all the time just saying they've, they've been so blessed by the things you've shared on here. So thanks once again for joining us. Oh, it's it's absolutely a delight. It's interesting. I just thought you didn't you didn't name it Safe Lion. No, yeah, that's well, that's the whole the whole Aslan bit. That's, right? that's the whole the whole thing. Yeah, it's not Safe Lion. It's Good Lion. But but we do we do want people to feel welcome. Right. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I so I, I actually have been toying around with the idea of starting a couple spinoff podcasts: uh, Bad Tiger and then uh, Mediocre Leopard. You know, that's oh, just excellent. That that last one rolls off the tongue. Oh, yeah. It's very easy to I think like Bad Tiger would be like if we just completely changed the vibe and tried to be shock jocks and then Mediocre Leopard. I don't even know what that would be. But, you know, just I mean, I immediately think of Def Leopard for some reason. Right. Yeah, that that makes sense. Well, welcome to the show. And today we are going to dive into the topic of the mission of God. I was telling you before the episode started, but we're in this multi-part series on apathy. Podcast series are ways that guys like me can do sermon series, even though we're not working at a church anymore. So Brian Higgins and I, my co-host, we got really fired up about just the idea of resist apathy. Like so many mm. young Christians that I know, my, myself included, have struggled in their life with apathy. Um you know, going on that roller coaster, like I think of kids that used to be in my youth group and one minute they're at camp, you know, praising Jesus with, with Evan, Evan Wickham on the guitar and vocals and, you know, raising your hand and crying the last night of camp and getting baptized and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you're in college and you're dealing with, you just broke up with your first boyfriend and girlfriend. You're dealing with the, the struggles of life. You're dealing with work and oh my gosh I thought ministry was going to be this but actually life is not full of constant evangelism and witnessing and you know all these missionary missions trip moments and actually life is really mundane and hard at times and so you find that people kind of plateau and start to struggle with feeling apathetic um so it's 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 a huge issue and it's one that we are trying to help people with and so yeah this is the final episode in the series wake up to the mission of God. But before we get to the mission, because I want to hear about your thoughts, I just want to ask you first, can you share your own story of apathy? Like, have you ever struggled with that? Mm -hmm. You're, you grew up in a pastor's home like me, private school like me. What is your relationship with apathy as a Christian? I have no, no history with apathy whatsoever. <laughs> like my, I'm a pastor's kid, white evangelical, grew up in a comfortable, you know, middle of the road. I just know there's just no apathy in that class of people. I'm <laughs> the apathy, apathy free demographic middle class. Um, no, no, I, I, I looking back, so I'm 41 years old, thinking back to the nineties and like the height of like purity culture, be pure, be zealous, be passionate. And, and, and camps where we'd have like three hour long, passionate afterglows and yeah. afterglows. It was, was, Calvary code for like really good long worship nights right. and where, where the charismatic gifts were most expressed, which I'm a huge fan of. Hmm. Interestingly, the charismatic gifts 
never quite made their way to Sunday morning, <laughs> which is part of which is part of why I think the apathy towards the things of the spirit sunk in. It, it you know, the charismatic mm. gifts are are meant to wake up the church. They're meant to stir up the church. And, and and so 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 there was there was all these kind of false dichotomies I absorbed in my in my life. Like I can't you know pursue the gifts of the spirit on Sunday or whatever. I can't believe in what my science teacher at college tells me because of a specific interpretation of Genesis one and two. I can't I I can't you know. And so there are all these dichotomies. And I think the apathy for me for me it set in my twenties. When I was handed a way of reading the Bible, specifically around the beginning and the end of the Bible. So the creation story and the end times story. Hmm. I was I was handed an interpretation that basically said, you must believe in a young earth creation interpretation of Genesis 1 and 2. And right. you must believe in a specific pre-tribulation dispensational seven-year rapture timeline in order to in order to be faithful Christian. Right. And and so you had to hold these and 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 to me it didn't reconcile with 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 the the with functioning in reality and what about the rest of the church that hasn't thought right. these things are we saying they're all wrong actually my my tribe growing up did say they were all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so yep. I, like to me to me there's a in in the business world they call it disenfranchisement it's when you don't mm. when you don't give the vision and we're going to talk about the mission of the church. It's the vision. It's God's vision for the church. Mm. When you don't, when you don't lead with why, mm. when you don't start with why, like W H Y, why mm. are we doing this? When you don't lead with vision and why, then there's a disenfranchisement of, of your yeah. company. If you're a business person. And so I was disenfranchised. Mm. I was disenfranchised, which, which then leads to apathy and, and there's not like a camaraderie amongst the organization and Jesus leads the best organization in the world, this church thing, which when you really, when, when you really wrap your mind around it, 2.56 billion brothers and sisters all over the world that are holding on to the mission of Jesus sent by the father, empowered by the spirit. And then he breathes on his church and says, yeah. receive my spirit. Mm. And so, mm. and so when you, when you lose sight of the big picture and you kind of get in your little tribe of like. We believe this way, and we're special. Um, without the without the why, yeah, uh, apathy set set in for me. And part of that is that you know the buzzword deconstruction. Yeah. Apathy and deconstruction went hand in hand for me. Mm. And so that's kind of that's kind of the story of my mid twenties, which led into my early thirties. And I had to do something about it. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. That's kind of the short answer. <laughs> yeah, that's to good. My apathy man. story. That's good. I mean, everything you said resonates so much. And even that trajectory you're talking about where, I mean, I, I love talking to people like you. And it reminds me of, I was just listening to Preston Sprinkle talk to, I think his name is Tony Scarcello. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. He's yeah. such a good guy. Yeah, he's he's amazing. I heard him speak at the Theology in the Raw conference and he was incredible. But he he kind of detailed that same kind of story you laid out of growing up in a kind of a very rigid environment. And that's why I love guys like him, guys like you who started to deal with that deconstruction, but came out the other side with a deeper and more robust faith in Jesus. Like to me, it's inspiring because I can count in my mind easily so many people that I grew up with and that I went to private school with and that were in your youth group with me, you know, like just friends of mine who went through similar experiences, but it, it, it caused them to 
fully deconstruct their faith to the point where it's just mm-hmm. non-existent. And, and I see that in my peers and I see that in my former students when I was in youth ministry. Uh, it's, it's happening to so many people right now. And so that is just like huge on my heart right now. Like, what can we do Me too. to just, yeah, just, j- just gently point people back, you know, to what, to what we believe is the most true thing out there. So well said, Aaron. Thanks, man. talking about people who are struggling and people that drift into apathy for these very real reasons of growing up in a tribe. And, you know, we, both of us, we come from Calvary Chapel. I currently work, you know, I'm employed by CGN. You're very friendly and appreciative of, of Calvary. I, I know we've talked about it and I've heard you say publicly, like how much you appreciate it, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's not just Calvary. I, I've talked to Southern Baptists. I've talked to Lutherans who experienced the exact same thing growing up in a tribe where it just felt rigid and, and there wasn't a lot of imagination and room to explore. And and for a lot of people that that can be a struggle. And and so in this whole series, like w- if you have, if you're listening to just this one and you're someone struggling with apathy, go back through the series because we start with the story, like you have to understand the story of God and where you fit into it. We, we go to the love of God. You have to understand God's love for you and his love for the world. We go into holiness. What does holiness mean? You know, is it just perfection? No, it's, it's dedication and set apartness. And what does that look like? And then we talked about the need, wake up to your need for a savior. So there's so much stuff Evan and I could talk about that's already been talked about in previous episodes where I want to go with Evan. Cause I just, I love his heart on this is mission the mission of the church. And so I want to ask you, Evan, can you define that? That was one of the number one questions. I I crowdsourced to other pastors and friends within Calvary and just asked, you know, Hey, I'm talking to Evan about this topic. What would you want to ask him? And one of the number one responses I got was Evan, how would you explain and define the mission of the church? Yeah. Wow. So there's not many questions more important than that. It seems Mm -hmm. to me, Uh, I, you know, I'm just going to, define it from my perspective, but my perspective comes from my reading of the scriptures, which, you know, I love what Christopher Wright does. Chris Wright is a a scholar over in England and he wrote the book. I think it's actually called the mission of God or the mission Mm. of the church. Mm. And, and he ties together the cultural mandate from Genesis one, all the way to the great commission in Matthew 28. It's the same. Mm. They're the same things. Cultural mandate is just the name theologians give to the moment when God creates humans mm. and mm. and God builds up to this great kind of the, the capstone, his dissertation. Like God goes all the way through the process of creation. And at the end, his great like grand finale moment is the creation of, of the human. Mm. And 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 he says, let us now make mankind or, or Adam human in mm. our own image. Mm. And he, and he blessed them. He created them male and female in his image. That's parallel. And then he blessed them <laughs> and then he gave them the cultural mandate. So now be fruitful, multiply, mm. fill, subdue and rule. Those five verbs, those five verbs are the mission mm. of God's human family. The church is the people of God, Jew and Gentile, male, female, every single human Every single human of any culture and tribe today who confesses Jesus as Lord, that believes Jesus actually is the embodiment of God and goes, mm. whoa, Christ, 
Christ, the Son of Mary, and Son of God is Lord of the cosmos. Hmm. What now? And hmm. and and so we we go back to the cultural mandate to find out what now, to find out the mission. And Jesus Jesus made it even more. He helped us out a lot in the last chunk of Matthew's gospel. Matthew records Jesus basically recapping the cultural mandate from Genesis 1, where he says, now all authority has been given to me. Mm. And now I say, go make disciples. That's be fruitful, multiply, Mm. fill the earth, make disciples of all nations, not just Jewish blood, but Gentile blood, African blood, North Korean blood, white Anglo blood. And yeah. You know, Arabic blood and mm. Saudi mm. make make a family that is bigger and thicker than human blood. Yeah, that is that is that is thickened with faith. Mm. And and this was always the plan. This was always the mission because God told Abraham, "I'm going to make a family that is all the fa- is made of all the families of the world with your with your DNA, your faith DNA." Yes. And so and so and so this family will carry forward. The Genesis one, be fruitful, multiply, fill. It was always meant to be more than just make babies. It was, it was, it was, which, which actually puts marriage in its proper place. I think we actually sabotage the mission of the church today in evangelical churches when we lift up marriage mm. to an idolatrous level. We actually don't bless single women and single right. men to lead the church. When, and by when doing single that, people feel like they are second class citizens in the mission of God, like they can't, they somehow can't rise up to, to fully live out the mission. Correct. Correct. Mm. Because the transition from old covenant to new covenant was no longer is the family of God. No longer is the mission of God accomplished through making babies. N- now it's accomplished through um, making disciples. Yeah, And wow. these are the children of God. These are the brothers and sisters of God. And we do it by baptism and teaching. Jesus said, make disciples, fill the earth, subdue it, all of that by baptizing wow. and teaching everything I told you to do. And that- so the Holy Spirit then comes on the church, empowers every human who mm. confesses Jesus, empowers us to actually do this thing, this thing mm. called the mission. So that's like, you know, five minute, I don't know how long that was, definition of the mission of God. Actually, That's I didn't great. even define what it looks like today. I just kind of gave a biblical theology of it. But I, so, I feel like um, the, the the theology bleeds into what it looks like today. And we can get good. into, we, we've got plenty of room to get into the, what it looks like practically. But I just want to say, good. first off, like, I love your definition. Like, and even, this is just, I'll just say this super quick, but one of the things that came to my mind when you were talking about that that distinction of single people being able to fully participate in the, in the, in the mission there's a there's a, a woman I'm thinking of who is a volunteer in the youth ministry at Calvary Vista, and she has been a volunteer in the high school group since you were on staff. She I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but she's a legend, and she's just been around forever, and she's she's wow. been single her whole life, but she's dedicated to the mission of making disciples and investing her time into young people. She she was a volunteer when I was in the high school group, and she was a volunteer when I was the high school pastor. So God bless her for for living out that mission. Everything you're talking about, you know, for me, it's bringing up 
things that we have recently been discussing in a seminary class with Gary Brashears in our cohort. And he just really brought us back to, you know, everything. Like the whole story is about the kingdom of God and the family of God. And, and really the war going on behind the scenes between the forces of light and dark, you know, which is like, yeah, yeah. you know, that that archetype that like every movie plays into, like that is the reality that's going on behind the scenes. And so, and I love how you tied the mission of God from Genesis to the great commission. Um, like how it's, it, it didn't change. It's the same. It starts with God wants mm -hmm. a kingdom and a family. And, and then obviously something disrupts that, you know, the, the fall and sin. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus comes and shows us an even better way to fulfill that mission than even what Adam and Eve were given as a directive. Like he, he fulfills and shows like, this is how we expand the garden. Like this is how we expand the kingdom. Th that so. is, that's exactly right. I think, I, I don't just think it's a, it's a fun connection to make. Yeah. Like, you know, just click on a cross reference and just say, oh, that's kind of like that verse. No, I think, I think along with many other folks that are way smarter than me, that mm -hmm. Matthew is making an intentional, an intentional He's commanding us to read Genesis mm. 1 as the beginning of the church's mission. Mm. Obviously, the church did not begin until Acts 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and birthed the church post Jesus's resurrection. Right. But, but Matthew is intentionally wanting us to see mm. Eden's mission built into the church's mission. And when we don't see that, I think we miss a huge central strand of the biblical narrative that Jesus was all about. That's great. I love that, man. I, I couldn't agree more. It, it's interesting because, you know, for me, when I was a young youth pastor, like in my early 20s, there was a point where I got really fired up about evangelism. And I'm bringing this up because for a long time, I exclusively thought of evangelism as, you know, the mission of God. And even more specifically than that, in my mind, I was thinking of street witnessing because I went through an experience where I was teaching through the book of Acts and I got to like all this stuff about them hitting the streets and spreading the gospel. And I felt convicted. I felt God speaking to me and saying, you don't do that. And I was like, what are you talking about? I spread the gospel all the time. And I felt like God was saying to me like, well, no, you help Christian kids develop their Christianity further. Like you work at a private school, <laughs> you know, you work at a church. Yeah. So God convicted me to start going out and doing street evangelism. I would do it on Saturdays when I was prepping my sermons. I'd hit up Oceanside, Carlsbad, Encinitas. And I started to see God do some incredible things where people were coming to the Lord and I was having really crazy experiences. And then I started leading my youth group to do that as well. And we'd go out together and it was a great time. I saw fruit from it, but I feel like that great commission go and make disciples. It's, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not limited to evangelism. I don't think it's less than evangelism, mm -hmm. but it's definitely more. So mm -hmm. can you speak into that at all? No, hundred percent. Yeah. So, so the word mission kind of confuses American Christians, I think, and it, at least at first in a healthy way, it makes us stop and think, wait, mission, it, doesn't that come from missionary? Well, I'm not a missionary. Yeah. I am a youth pastor or I'm not a missionary. I am a nurse practitioner. I'm a, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm selling insurance at Geico. Like I'm not a missionary. So this, this word mission, it, it, it confuses us at times. Mm -hmm. And I, that's understandable because I think again, <laughs> One thing evangelicalism has been really good at has been it's been exporting our version of Christianity to the nations, specifically Western post Azusa Street Pentecostal revival mm -hmm. 
church culture, we have exported, you know, post-1908, a version of Christianity called evangelicalism, modern evangelicalism. We've exported it via missionaries, these professional mm. mission Christians. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so that whole idea of mission, even, you know, bringing in the idea of outreach into this conversation is kind of a symptom of the problem. You know, the fact that we even want to go talk about evangelism right now is a symptom of the problem because, because the, the, the symptom points to this, this, this underlying illness, I think, mm. in our in our church culture, where and, and apathy is another symptom of this, where we we forgot why there's a church. Yeah. Mm. Why is why why does God have a church? Mm. We've forgotten why does God have a church in the world? Because this i this idea of mission's been kind of subsumed into the conversation around missionary work or evangelism, which means go somewhere far away and then you're a missionary. But when, like you said, when we read Jesus's commission when we read his recapping of the cultural mandate he's like all right now all authority has been given to me i've been crucified i've risen from the dead i'm about to ascend to the right hand of the father and now i say to you go into all the world and he doesn't use the word evangelize he doesn't use the word outreach or crusade yeah he uses the word create make apprentices Mm -hmm. make apprentices yeah. Methetes, disciples. How? By baptizing, which is different than evangelizing. Yeah. Baptizing and teaching them to observe everything I've said. So yeah. what does that sound like? Does that sound like street witnessing or does that sound like Sunday mornings every week for 20 years? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it sounds like Sunday mornings it's, every year. For, for 20 yeah, years. It's, yeah. It's, it sounds like church. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, so bringing the mission back into the church in our hearts, I think, I think will be the antidote for apathy, but, but we have to ask ourselves some hard questions first. Why are we apathetic? So you bring up this word apathy and mm. I wonder if listeners right now are going like, well, I'm not apathetic. Even mm. if they are, I don't know that if I was apathetic, I don't know that I would self-diagnose myself as apathetic. I'd just be like, I don't find my questions answered in the church anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, like I don't, like it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. And that, there's that phrase. I don't know if you've heard it, Aaron. It was like, well, I, I, I grew up in church. I, I was given the Bible and prayer and it just didn't work for me. Yeah. No, that I've phrase heard that, heard that many, many times. Yeah. It's very common. And, and I think there's something to that. I think we need to honor people's hunger. It's a hunger. Yeah. For, for the why. Why does God have a church? And why don't I feel safe to ask the real questions deep in my heart yeah. in the church I used to go to? These are the things that, that, yeah. that keep me up at night and, and keep me waking up in the morning <laughs> yeah. uh, Amen. to do church. that sticks out to me too is, you know, the, the whole idea of when we say it doesn't work for me, I think it has to do a lot of times with our emphasis, especially those of us who are pastors on the personal relationship with Jesus as like the be all end all of the faith. 
And so then it's like, okay, this, this faith is for me and Jesus is for mm-hmm. me to help me with my struggle. And then we miss out on like the, the mission that we're called the communal mission. We're called to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. But when we're so, I mean, even for me, like, honestly, like the biggest turning point in my life at a young age was I was a pastor's kid, grew up in the Christian home, but I was so like, I believed in Jesus. I loved Jesus. I took notes and sermons, you know, when I heard you and other guys teach and, and I, I really genuinely loved the Lord, but I was so self-focused on just my struggle, my problems, what I was going through. And when I started volunteering in the youth group and I was like, holy cow, here's all these like 12 year olds that have the same problems I have, you know, and I can be a big brother and I can reach out to them. That was a huge thing for my development as a Christian. And, and I, and I considered that, you know, being a part of the mission and, and even, even like the last few years, my wife and I have gone through, I feel like everything that you're saying, like, so we literally like after over a decade of being on staff at a church, eight years as a youth pastor, more years before that as other things, we were getting ready to go to Ireland to be missionaries. Like that was the plan. Go fly to Ireland, which is awesome. Like there's nothing like there's no negativity in any of the stuff that we're saying about beautiful. Yeah. Missionary work, street witnessing. It's all good things. But so the, but what I'm trying to get at is God really, I think was trying to teach us something that we desperately needed to learn because we were like, we're going to go be missionaries in Ireland. And then God said, no, Mm -hmm. actually you're going to go to Oklahoma and you're still going to be a missionary. And my first thought was like, how do I, how, how, like you, you can't be a missionary in another state. And, and God Mm. was trying to teach me the same thing that I had been preaching to people from a stage for years, which is like, you're all a part of the ministry, even if you don't work at a church. And then God was like, okay, now you do that. Like you go not work at a church, but dedicate your life to, to ministry. And what I discovered was that like a part of ministry is leading your family spiritually when you're not on staff at a church part of ministry is Mm. joining a community group, which we had never Mm. been a part of a community group in our adult lives. We'd always been leading youth ministry, home fellowships and things, but never like with our peers and never with me, not Mm. in a place of leadership. And just like as a dude with other dudes trying to like minister to one another. So that experience has been crazy impactful. And, and, and it's, it's shown me how, like non-church staff people are a part of the mission by teaching me how to go through that. And I feel like it's That's beautiful, Aaron. Yeah. It's, it's been great. It's yeah. been really challenging. I cannot imagine <laughs> being a Christian without a community that knows mm. like that knows how I eat and how <laughs> I drink and how I treat my kids. Yeah. Every Tuesday night, we are a family of missionary disciples mm. every Tuesday night around you know dinner and wine or whatever or grape juice if you're a whatever if you're a teetotaler but um it's just that that's the thing that i was missing for many years on staff as a pastor where community was just not as not as emphasized so yeah 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 this 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 command is plural this command is for a family of missionary disciples to go and create more family not only by making babies, although marriage is good and reproduction is godly, but but also through faith, through through this thing that's thicker than blood. Right. And 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 it, it, you can only do it in a family. Yeah. You can only do it in community. And I think that's another reason why apathy is tempting. It's tempting to 
to peace out when yeah. when you when you don't have your nine to sixteen. I love what Jim McNeese, she's a leadership psychologist in in Ireland. He encouraged me. He's like Evan, always have your nine to sixteen who mm. you empathize with. Jesus had his nine to sixteen, mm. literally twelve. He had his twelve. Mm. They saw him cry. Mm. They saw him. They saw him angry. Mm. They saw him. They saw him doubt. I, I actually think Jesus engaged in sinless doubt. And and that is saying to the father, I know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I know the mission. I know the mission. But if there's any other way, <laughs> if there's any other way. And so, you know, if you're uncomfortable with that being called doubt, you can call it anything you want, whatever you want to call that. Discouragement. Um, discouragement. I mean, feeling literally abandoned by God. Yeah. His community saw and heard all that. His community was there. They mm. they failed him. They fell asleep, but yeah. they were invited in. They were invited in. Wow. And and then and then there was the crowds that Jesus did not invite in. Mm. Jesus did not give himself empathetically to the crowds. He couldn't. Yeah. So like if you're a professional minister and you're listening to this, don't think your church is your community <laughs> unless unless you've actually invited them to see how you treat your wife. Or, or your social um, media followers. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so Jesus, it's a, he, he didn't give himself to the crowds because he knew what was, what was in them. He, he, yeah. he did not empathize with the crowds. He had compassion on them. Right. But he did not let them into his soul. Yeah. He did with his 12. And so that's a huge, huge piece. If you're deconstructing into apathy, it takes a community to deconstruct well. Yeah. It's good. It really does. It's good. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing. There's so many people I've seen deconstruct in a negative way, and I looked at who their community was at the time, and I was just like, oh, I wish I could be present with them to help walk them through this. You know, long distance, you, you can try. But yeah, that community around you makes such a difference. Let, let me ask you this, man, because the, the, the audience of this show is kind of like a split down the middle, like, people in ministry, youth pastors, young adults, pastors, even some senior pastors, but we've also just got a lot of Christians, like just people out there working their normal jobs, young Christians in college. A lot of times, like you're talking about the mission of the church and we've talked about evangelism. We talked about how it's more than that. It's make disciples, it's baptize them. For someone not on staff at a church, what does that look like for them? How can they mm. live into that mission beyond just like going to church and like tithing at their church to support their pastor, who's the one who stands in front of everybody and dunks the person in the baptismal, right. you know, <laughs> on a right. Sunday morning? Like what, what does make disciples look like for the non-church staff Christian? I'm going to thank Aaron, thank you, Aaron, for asking this, because this is, again, this is the part that gets me up in the morning. I'm going to say something that might make you or listeners like raise your eyebrow. It's like, what is he saying? But I, I think this is true. I think this is where we're at as a, as a church culture within a broader culture. Mm. And it's this theology is the new outreach. Mm. Mm. Theology is the new outreach. So when you think outreach, don't think, man, I just, it's been long overdue since I've been street witnessing. Street witnessing is great. Telling people about Jesus, strangers you've never met. Great. But today, 1,700 pastors are leaving the ministry per month. Yeah. And that's not to, that's not to mention regular Christians. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Leaving the church in the West. This is specifically an American stat, a Western American statistic. Mm. You have to go, you have to ask why. There's a, there's a complexity there for pastors. Some of it is COVID leadership was killer. It was hard. Yeah. 
And, and, and another piece of it is honestly, people were able to plant churches in the nineties without a robust theology. Mm. People, a lot of leaders, a lot of, a lot of pastors and church planters were sent out with a Bible and a prayer team and sink or swim, go plant. Yep. And a lot, a lot of those churches grew, whether they became healthy or not, only Jesus knows. But that era, that temporary era is done. We're in a new moment. The spirit wants to do something new Mm. to bring in Gen Z, Generation Y, Millennials still, Gen X, everyone, boomers. But but specifically, this next generation is way more comfortable asking the the hardest questions in public on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, in YouTube videos. (laughs) These questions on TikTok. If you go on TikTok right now and just look up, just search exvangelical. You, you will find, you will find plenty of pretty, pretty good pushbacks to Christianity. You'll yeah. find plenty of, of challenges to the Christian faith. Right. Like, why would a loving God not let same-sex people marry each other? Why would a loving God tell ancient Israelites to kill Canaanite babies? Why would a loving God send people to hell forever? Is heaven really going to be heaven when we know people are burning? Yeah. So, like, these questions... Yeah are public everywhere getting millions of views. <laughs> yes. So, so 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 now the mission of God has has it's the same it's the same goal it's to make disciples it's to make a family yeah. out of many nations baptizing them and teaching them. Mm. So that teaching part it's the same teaching goal brand new context. <laughs> very very new context. What does mm. teaching look like in a TikTok era. What does it look like? Yeah. When, when all of all Gen Z people now, they can, on their phones, they can in, in 20 minutes, they can hear 20 challenges to Christianity. Yeah. That sound really convincing. Yes. Like what's our posture to that? And I, I want to say theology is the new outreach. Mm. Theology is the new outreach. Yeah. Like people are coming, people are turning to the church right now saying, and they're, and they're, and they're like, what are you going to say? Yeah. You guys are bigots, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, what are you going to say? You guys all, you guys all worship Trump, don't you? <laughs> like, this is the world. This is the yeah. mission. He said, "Go into all the world." That's yes. the world we're going into. Yeah. And so, yeah. and 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 so, and so, theology is the new outreach. I don't think we can responsibly lead the church and meet the missional demands of the day by the power of the Spirit mm. with an anemic privatized a historical theological system in our heads. Yeah. We can't, we have to know the patristics, the first 300 years of the church fathers. What did they say about Jesus? What did they say about the new Testament documents? Mm. Did Mm. Rome corrupt Christianity when Rome went Christian? Mm. Why or why not? Because that's a big pushback from, from folks these days. Oh, Christianity is just imperial dogma. Yeah. Well, actually not. Let's go to the history Mm. and, and, but, but listen, here's the posture for me that has helped so much. And in my, in my conversations with folks is like, man, and I got this from Dan Kimball out at Vintage Faith Church. Someone has a pushback, like how could God not allow gay people to marry each other or whatever, whatever the question is, which is an inaccurate question. It's a poorly framed question, but it's a real one. It's a real one that comes into our hearts. Yeah. My, my response to that is always, my goodness. I would have the same exact yes. question if That's so, I didn't know if if I yeah. didn't know what the Bible was doing. That's so. Key. If I didn't know what the Bible was doing, 
I'd have the same question. Yeah, because I feel like I don't want to be overly simplistic, but it feels like on social media, there's kind of two streams of Christian interaction. There's the stream that is like, we have it figured out. Anyone who disagrees is an idiot. Let's mock non-believers and leftists and deconstructionists. Let's make fun of them for not having things figured out the way that we do. And then you have people that are viewing social media as a mission field, as the public square of the day, and just seeing all the people out there struggling and thinking, how can I reach them? And I just, I, I want to be in that second group because to me, it's like, if, if you just view everybody who has doubts and questions and, and deconstruct or people have been deconstructing as the enemy, it's like, how is that owning or how is that, how is that owning the great commission? You know, like how, Mm -hmm. how do you reach the culture if you hate the culture? You know, I can disagree with the culture, but I'm called to reach the culture. And there's people out there I know, young people that are getting fired up to go and learn theology. They're going to Bible college, they're going to seminary, and then they're, they're jumping on TikTok, like you're saying, and they're trying to reach people. I'm terrified of TikTok because I am a middle of the road millennial and I'm already feeling super old and TikTok scares me like Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook. I'm cool with, I get on TikTok and I'm like, what is this strange world? Maybe I need mm-hmm. to get out of my comfort zone with it. But one of the things that no, I don't been... have TikTok either. I just, <laughs> I just, I just hear what's going on. Right. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're trying to speak to our younger audience to help them fight that apathy. One thing that I've done that's been really impactful for, for me and just the ministry I do is I'll get on social media and basically I'll, find some crazy debate, you know, about just something political or or something, you know, in society. And everyone's just going at one another. The conservatives are going for the throat. The liberals are going for the throat. Everyone's just trying to destroy one another, Ben Shapiro style with facts and logic or whatever. And instead of like going into that debate and trying to prove everyone wrong, I'll identify someone I see struggling and I'll send them a private message and I'll, I'll start just trying to share with them the Christian perspective. And I'll, I'll, I'll invite them to share their perspective, whether it's, you know, liberal or super right wing or, you know, deconstructed or, you know, church hurt somebody who went through and experienced abuse in their church. I'll let them share in a no judgments zone where it's like, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to make you feel like a horrible jerk for your views. I want to hear what you're going through. And then I want to bring Jesus into the conversation. And I used to be somebody who spent a lot of time in the comments trying to go back and forth with people. And I've just realized right now in this season, it's not the best use of my time, but finding those people I can reach out to on those one-on-one conversations has been incredibly impactful. And there's people that I can think of who would say, they say of me, like, Aaron, you're a guy I disagree with on a lot of things, but I know that you care about me. And when I'm struggling, you're one of the people I'll reach out to because you didn't get into my comment section and try to destroy me. You, you reached out and, you know, said, Hey, I'm here. And and so to me, that's a missionary tactic that any Christian, whether you work at a church or not can use in this social media landscape. So good, Aaron. Thanks, man. Let me ask you this, man, as we're talking about apathy, 
like let's address the people because you mentioned that you know uh, somebody who's struggling with apathy might not admit it um Mm-hmm. Actually, a, a part of this series being started was talking to some of my former students who one, one actually called me on the phone a few months ago. It was just like, Pastor Aaron, she still calls me that, even though I never told her to. <laughs> I was like, you guys can just call me Aaron. The, the pastor thing's weird. <laughs> but she's like, Pastor Aaron, like, I am just struggling so much. And I like grew up in church, but like, I have a hard time caring. Like, I just, I feel like like drained and like, I can't connect with like, like who Jesus is and what he's about. Like, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. So, you know, someone like that, I want to ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to set this up this way. Let's say you are talking to a burned out Christian struggling with apathy, but who recently has been feeling God stir them back to committed Christ following you know, first they woke up to the story of God and then the love of God, the, the holiness, the, the need for a savior, but mm-hmm. they're struggling to connect the dots about the mission of the church. They're trying to focus mainly on their own private personal walk with God. When it comes to the mission of the church, they feel a sense of apathy and also fear and an inadequacy. Like, I can't do that. That's for Billy Graham, Greg Laurie, Levi Lusco. Like, that's for the the evangelists. I, I just, I can't. Like, it's it's scary. I can't get out of my comfort zone. And we're not just talking about street, street witnessing. We're not just talking about relational evangelism. We're talking about like fully investing yourself in being a part of your church and a part of the community mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and loving those around you, both inside and outside of the church. What would you say to a, a Christian who wants this, but is having a hard time breaking out of that apathy? How would you encourage wow. them? That's yeah. So uh, three thoughts immediately come to mind. Number one, that is a very brief window in my experience. And it's the window where people are aware that they're apathetic and want to do something about it. Mm. That is a very short window because in my experience that might last for three months, six months. And, and then, and then they're off. They're, they're onto something else that something either other than Jesus or they have an experience of God or they have, they have a community that brings them back in and loves them well, or, or they're, or they're, or they're gone. They're on to another experience, whether it's a spiritual experience or they just kind of peace out of church COVID, you know, a third. Yeah. I feel like a, th- the, the, a third of the church is that they maybe, maybe during COVID apathy set in depression set in for a lot of people. It's like, wow, this is taking a lot longer than I thought. Yeah. And I think I have to move and moving AJ Swoboda talks about moving as the number one reason people have a faith transition. Mm. Physically moving to another state <laughs> is 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 number one reason why people often transition their spirituality to another kind. So wow. that's very interesting. Yeah. So 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 that's my first my first thought. You spoke Aaron, you spoke with a friend who's in a very key window, and I think that's a gift. When someone says, I feel apathetic and I want to fight it, that's mm. a gift. Mm. And my immediate response in that moment is always Thank you for the honor of sharing with me your soul. How are you inviting me to respond? Mm. How are you inviting me to respond right now? Mm. Do you want me to, do you want me to talk about the Bible? Do you want me to just to listen to your story of hurt? Like, how are you inviting me to respond? Because in that moment, my, my tendency as a theology guy is to jump in with answers, which most people are not looking for theology answers in those moments. It's just a window, a beautiful window. So I, I, real quick, my second thought is just, I don't know if you've heard very practically, I don't know if you've heard of alpha. Have yeah. you heard of alpha? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So evangelism, we think of evangelism like Billy Graham. You mentioned Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or whatever, or street, street witnessing. But like alpha is evangelism for like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a table, it's food, it's good drink. It's a video about right. like, hey, is there more to life than this? Right. And then the next week is, who did Jesus think he was? Mm. And the third week is, why did Jesus die anyway? Mm. And no preaching, no judgment, no pressure. You watch the truth on a video, the Christian, the Christian perspective, the Christian doctrine. You watch it on a video. And then the table just opens for an honest, truly safe discussion where people share their own perspectives, whether they're atheists, Buddhists, yeah. deconstructing pastor's kids like I was. <laughs> yeah. And they're just and they're just able to say, I don't know. I don't I think the Jesus story may have been co-opted by a bunch of patriarchal dudes <laughs> in a smoke filled room. <laughs> and and then and then the, the table host goes, thank you. That's a fascinating perspective. Anyone else? Right. <laughs> and you just honor you just honor where people are at and trust the spirit's work. I think we need more spaces like Alpha where we're not where we're not trying to we're not trying to give people the hard sell at the end is my point. The 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 pastor and seminary student and youth pastor in me like has a hard time like if I was sitting at that table I would want to like grab that guy afterwards and like invite him out to coffee so you can talk through that and help him understand you know that it's not what he thinks it is but I I mean I wonder is that right you know to feel that way it's like you don't want people to struggle with the truth you want them to know the truth but I feel like what I'm hearing you say is the most important thing at the start is giving them space to wrestle without judgment. So then the door can be open to go further. Yeah. The word is really consent. Mm. If you don't have spiritual consent from someone that is apathetic or deconstructing, then no amount of persuasion is going to fix their soul. Yeah. And you, you earn spiritual consent through relationship and through loving. You really do. And, and so like alpha is, is this, it's really a program, but it's so easy to do where you, there's a meal and there's drinks and there's a movie of, about Jesus, very clear and compelling. And then a discussion. It ends, it ends with, with the seeker or the atheist or the Buddhist. It ends with them yeah. telling you what they think. And then you just say, thank you for sharing. I can't wait to see you next week when we talk about the cross. Yeah. Like that's, and they're like, you really care what I think? Of course I do. Like yeah. your presence is enriching my life. And, and if someone says, if someone actually does say, I have a question about your faith, you say, how are you inviting me to answer? How are you inviting me to give you the Christian answer? Are you right. inviting me yeah. to like tell, tell, or, or do you just want to, I don't know, have another meal later? You know, I think, our, I think, uh, I think America, Amer- the American culture is, is burnt out on the hard sell. We don't need to sell Jesus. The lion, the lion is good and he's strong enough, you know, the good yeah. lion. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, man. So that, that everything you're saying, I, I, I agree with so much. I, I agree. And I, I love the idea of sort of playing. I don't know if it's the, I hate the term, but playing the long game with people and just investing into them and just investing and investing to the point where they understand like this guy isn't trying to get me to convert so I can come to his church and tithe. Like, that's not mm-hmm. like this person loves me. There's, there's, there's young people that, you know, I've been investing in since they were in sixth grade and now they're in their early twenties and I'm just getting to the point with them 
where even though I haven't lived in the same state as them for four years, like they're starting to reach out and be like, Hey, like, I remember that day, like in seventh grade where we talked about this and I haven't thought about it until right now, but I'm really struggling. Can we talk? And, and to me, it's like, I've got, I've got a list of kids that used to be my youth group. And I just try to make a rotation throughout the year to just kind of remind them that I love them and that I'm there. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that just produce incredible fruit at times because like they'll reach out when they're struggling, not all of them, but, but some do. And to me, it's like every Christian, I think we should be doing that. Like we should don't try to save everybody. You can't like, you will not be able to save everybody, but, and and you can't save anybody. (laughs) That's the thing. I was going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. You actually can't. Yeah. You can't, you can't save anybody, but you can be used in the process. You can be a tool, you know, in the hands of Mm -hmm. the master, Mm -hmm. master carpenter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my, my, my third thing, I, I, there were three things that came to mind when you asked, you know, yeah, I forget the question you asked, but I remember I had three things. The third one, <laughs> that's funny. That's okay. Uh, sorry. Number one was that window of apathy yeah. where they want, they want to wake up. They're falling asleep. They want to wake up. That's a gift. Yes. Honor them for giving you that gift. And number yeah. two, alpha is something to look into. Number three, right. we, we have been preaching through revelation for seven weeks at our church mm. and we have, I've never seen this much excitement about a series in five years of planting Park Hill. The people coming for like, I've people coming and saying, man, I grew up with a specific reading of revelation that confused me or scared mm. me. Mm. I thought, I thought that the end of the story was like scary and the world's going to blow up and God's going <laughs> to evacuate us out of existence. And all we're waiting for is like late, great left behind planet earth. And and now, like, oh, I see how the church has historically read the revelation. It's not the revelation of the wars of the world. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right. It's Jesus revealing himself to John on the island of Patmos. And it's beautiful. And the symbols come straight from scripture. You don't have to decode them with your newspaper. Right. And and our church, like literally students, kids, teenagers, all the way up to like 70-year-old boomers are are like, I have never been so excited about Jesus. Right. It's the opposite of apathy. And it, and it goes to show Revelation chapter one, verse three is true. Hmm. Blessed is the one who reads it out loud and blessed are the ones who hear it and do what it says. Hmm. And I, I actually think, and this is going to be controversial maybe for some, but, but I think the rampant misreadings of Revelation are a huge reason why this generation has become apathetic of yeah. Christianity. Yeah. How can you say Revelation is a blessing to the hearer when the hearer is scared? Yeah. <laughs> when the hearer is confused, when the hearer has to have a timeline pasted to their wall of seven years and every event interpreted through the lens of Tim LaHaye <laughs> in order to understand the Bible. So, so that's, that's that uh, for me, I'm like, I don't even know. Like I, most of my twenties, I'm like, I don't even know the end times anymore. I don't even want to think about Jesus coming back. Cause then I have to like answer a bunch of other questions. So, but that's not, that's not the new Testament's heart, right? Jesus himself is coming to earth cause he loves this planet and he loves humans and nine tenths in revelation 11, nine tenths of the city is saved. One tenth tragically falls. But if the two witnesses keep preaching on, if the witnesses of the, ch- if the church keeps preaching on faithfully 
My goodness. It's not it's not one tenth of the city is saved. It's nine tenths. Only one city falls. That's enough to go on. That'll cure my apathy. Hmm. So 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 for me, I actually I actually think the doom and gloom eschatology has contributed to apathy in in evangelicalism. I I've th- this is an interesting topic for for me to respond to and and even just what you said because you know I grew up in the same tribe as you Calvary Chapel still operate within it and. You know, Calvary yeah. Chapel is a dispensationalist for for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, C- CGN mm-hmm. is a pre pre millennial, not necessarily mm-hmm. pre tribulational. There's some that believe it, some it's that beautiful. don't. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and, and so I th- I've seen in in I will say eschatology for me is one of the hardest topics because I don't fully know where I stand. And I've said that before on the show. That's not some secret. I know Jesus is coming back. I think to divide from one another over it about when he's coming back is like, you know, kids disowning one another because they can't agree on what time dad said he'd be home for dinner. But um, I I think that despite, you know, wherever you land, right, no matter what your eschatology is, I think that there has been a mistake with the doom and gloom mentality and the the, the world is going to hell in a handbasket mentality. That's something that we've talked about a lot within CGN. Mm-hmm. And I've been very thankful for, for leaders that still hold to, you know, some form of dispensationalism or premillennialism or, or whatever, who are like, we reject this idea that like, we are just supposed to hide in a rapture bunker until Jesus gets back and mm-hmm. just do nothing. Like we, we are called to the mission and if you look at the pendulum of history, things get worse and then they get better and then they get worse and then they get better. And so regardless, mm-hmm. like we are not called to hide. We're not called to sit around and watch the news and just moan about every, you know, can you believe this is happening in the world? Can you believe that's happening? Like, oh, everything's everything. I just need Jesus to come back right now. But instead, like, let's live into this mission. And and for me, like in my yeah. In my journey on it, the thing that I discovered that I fell in love with was the topic of inaugurated eschatology, which I love oh. because I feel like yes. no matter whether you're, you know, post mill or all mill or dispensationalist or whatever, you can still hold to inaugurated eschatology. And I would say every Christian should. It's the idea. And you can correct me if I'm butchering it. But as far as I understand it, it's the idea that it's it's not necessarily about only the future. It's about the present. It's about the the idea that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he became the firstborn of the new creation and he ascended to the, the king of the new creation. So the king of the already, but not yet. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, things are bad sometimes, but Jesus is king and he's king now, not just in the future. When you get to the, you know, new heaven, new earth, spiritual realm combo. <laughs> like he's king. That's right. He's king. He's king now. And so you can live. That's right. You can live out the kingdom in the here and now as you wait for the kingdom to fully arrive. So to me, like that's my eschatology, oh. you know, I don't, I don't necessarily care about the, I mean, I do care, but not enough to obsess over it. I, I, I'm sure I'll land somewhere <laughs> eventually, but right so, now I'm, I'm, I'm an inaugurated so eschatology guy. Yeah. So I'm so glad it sounds like we're, we're wrapping this up beautifully. Like I, it, I'm so glad we ended with this because I think our hope and our energy and our passion is shaped by our picture of the future. Hmm. And that's why I brought up Revelation as my third point. I'm seeing people's hope come alive today because hmm. the message of Revelation is not for the future primarily. I firmly believe that. And I think I think you can be premillennial and believe that. The message yeah. of Revelation, it meant something 
to the first generation Christians yeah. and the second generation Christians and yeah. the third generation and the and then, 21st century Christians we are today. It meant the same thing. And that is whoever has ears, wake up. Mm. Whoever has ears, listen to what the spirit is saying to the church. Mm. That is not more true in 2022. Mm. That is not more, Revelation is not more true because we're the latest generation. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that, that, that is the misunderstanding. So in my experience from my upbringing, that is the misunderstanding I grew up with is that, mm. man, I'm so glad I might be the generation that sees Revelation come true or something, mm. Mm. <laughs> which is, which is not, not at all what Jesus was doing. I, I think and we can it, say it, that very it confidently. It produces this cycle of disappointment when all every generation that is obsessed with that then is like, oh, Jesus didn't come back and I'm 80 now, you know? C correct, correct. Revelation is, is a manifesto against civil religion. It's a manifesto mm. against mm. worshiping the empire yes. and bowing to the beast and pledging allegiance to the flag of Rome. Yes. It's a manifesto yes. against this. Yeah. And... And, and so when, when Revelation speaks to Christians under murderous Roman Caesars mm. and says, honor the emperor and yet remember who the true emperor is. Yeah. Remember who the true emperor is. Listen, he has seven letters to the seven churches. Look at his eyes of fire. Mm. Look at his flaming hair. Look at his, look at his clothing white like wool. And now look, he's a lamb. He's a lamb and he has the scroll. This scroll is his right to history. He's going to mm. fix everything. You know, we see the wars. Another thing Gen Z is frustrated about, like, are, are my parents racist or are they anti-racist? You know, <laughs> are they, are they like, where, where do they stand on the George Floyd thing? Where do they stand yeah. on Black Lives Matter? Where do they stand on Make America Great Again? Why are, why is the church so caught up in the culture wars? Revelation cuts through all of that noise yeah. and says, only the lamb is worthy to open the scroll. Yeah. Only mm. the lamb. Any politician that stands up and says, my policy will fix the world. They are the beast. <laughs> yeah. There, there's people listening probably on both sides of the spectrum who are like, yeah, amen, Evan, but they have in mind the politician on the other side. And, and you're saying everybody, right. it doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what right. party or what side. No, yeah. The beast, the beast in revelation 13 is not, you know, Nikolai Carpathia from left behind series <laughs> yes. or whatever. I don't know if you read it. Oh yeah, man. No, the, the left behind in, series the, and the, left behind youth series. There was two different like alternate reality stories. I think of it. But. Yeah, that, that's, that's not the word antichrist isn't even in revelation. That's a first mm. Thessalonians thing. Right. Revelation 13 talks about this beast who has Satan's breath. He has Satan's Satan's <laughs> yeah. language coming out of his mouth. Yeah. And this, this beast is this system claiming to do what only the lamb can do. Yeah. It's a government or an ideology claiming to bring peace or freedoms or justice and equality uh, to fulfill our pursuit of happiness. Only the lamb can deliver those things. Yeah. John specifically identifies the beast as a human system claiming to deliver what only the lamb can. Gosh, and wow. so... Wow. And, and, and so we have a, we have a generation now that's getting apathetic in the church yeah. because they hear one another, they hear Twitter, they hear Instagram, they hear their parents, they hear churches, they hear pastors saying, oh, the only hope for this nation is that politician or this nation's going to go to hell if that guy gets in the office. Yeah. And these are Christians saying that. Yeah. Supposed to be citizens of the lamb's kingdom. Yeah. 
And so when we misplace our, we're actually misplacing worship when we hope in these human systems. And, and I think my son, Gavin, his 20 year old generation, they can smell it a mile away. Yeah. Amen. Wow. And so the mission of the church is, I just think it's going to be returning to theology as the, or as the new Orthodox the theology, not the new Orthodox, theology is the new outreach, mm. knowing why we are the church, why we are the family from Eden why our gay friends are absolutely welcome to equally submit our their identities just like we submit our identities and repent of everything. All yeah. of us equally invited to repent. Wow. Regardless of whatever identity we bring, trans, are my trans friends welcome at church? You sh we need to answer that. Yeah, like, right. With gospel clarity, like of, everyone is welcome to this church. Yeah. Equally to submit all our identities, every single identity submitted to the lamb. And yeah. then we all receive the new identity of beloved children of God. Everyone, everyone. That's, that's so good. That's so good. You're just, there's so much I want to say. I know we're, we're trying to wrap up, uh, but you, you're stirring up so many good things in my heart, man. I'm getting, I'm getting excited. Like I hope if you're listening, it's producing the opposite of apathy because you're just, I mean, oh gosh. I was just, I was just talking to a guy. I was just talking to him on the phone and he's probably one of the most staunchly like vocally conservative guys I know. But he, he also said like just everything you just said, where it was basically like, like, he's like, I am at the point now where I realize like it is King Jesus all the way. And it's crazy. Cause I, I've talked to friends who have been more on the progressive side of things and they're starting to sense that too. And I feel like God is doing something where, where people are realizing like, it's not this never ending cycle of the battle between these guys and these guys, but it's, it's the battle of between Jesus and evil. And everyone is called yeah. to participate and be a part of it. And, and, you know, you're, you're talking about the whole trans thing and something that is really big on my heart with that. And this is just a snapshot. I just said this on another episode, but I'll bring it up here again too. You know, you know, right now, what I see when I go on Christian Twitter, which is probably one of the worst places I've ever been. I thought Christian Facebook was bad, but Christian Twitter, I just, I, I only go on there to find out what people are talking about and what's going on in, in the world of theology conversations. But whenever, like, like, remember that thing that happened where there, there was that swimmer, that swimmer who transitioned, Leah Thomas, and she won something. I can't remember what it is because I don't follow sports, but she, she won a big thing. When mm. I went on social media and I looked at what is the Christian response to a trans woman winning a swim competition and it was mockery and it was making fun mm -hmm. of her, putting her down, calling anybody who holds her ideology insane. Like that was the overwhelming Christian witness in the public square of the day is yeah. we are Christians. This person's wrong. Let's make fun of them. I right. hold. I hold to a traditional like, like Christian view on sexuality and gender. Like I look at the transgender situation and I have strong opinions on it, but I'm like, we're a part of the kingdom of God. Like we don't need to defeat these people with mockery. We need to right. invite them into something more. Like we need to show them why the kingdom of God is compelling and why they should be a part of it. And we're not going to do that through making fun of them. Like, yeah. and if the Christian church, like, what if our response when we saw something in the news about transgenderism, instead of all these pastors getting on Twitter and mocking a trans person, what if we double down on let's outreach to the trans people in our community? Let's like 
show our young people podcasts and video series of like young people that wrestled with that themselves and then came out the other side with a more orthodox theology and, and, and deconverted from that and detransition and, you know, all that stuff that Preston Sprinkle talks about and his, you know, he's got podcast series where he invites people on his show and to share their story of how they were trans and then found Jesus and came to repentance. Like, why isn't that our automatic knee jerk response instead of mocking and shaming? Like, I just, I'm getting, I'm getting emotional, man. Cause it's like, <laughs> I yeah. just don't get it. Like, yeah. why is that the primary response of the church so often? Yeah. I, yeah, that's your heart is beating for the, the things of Jesus, I think. And you know, Twitter's not going to be an effective place for debate or creating a welcoming space. It's not going to accomplish, I think, either one in a healthy way. Mike, maybe more close to home, like, are trans people welcome in our churches? Yeah. And by that, I mean, can someone who is trans come into our churches and, and be met with love and curiosity? Genuine, like, yeah, I'm fascinated. I don't... I don't know any trans people and that's a problem. Like, tell me about your life. Can we meet for coffee? I just want to hear you talk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to hear you talk. I, and, and I, I, I wonder if, you know, theology as a new outreach, it also needs to come with a mood of curiosity over certainty. Yeah. And I don't mean, I don't mean losing certainty about the core gospel distinctives and the heartbeat of orthodoxy that God is creator and he's triune and that Jesus is fully God and fully human and that his death on the cross accomplished atonement for sins and all of the, all of the core tenets of Christianity. We can hold that and be curious about people's stories who are wildly different than us. Yeah. Again, this, this brings me back to the alpha culture. It's like fascinating. Thank you for your story. Who, who, who wants to share next? We've yeah. heard the Christian story. Now, now you give us yours. Like, yeah. hmm. I, I, I sometimes wonder, there's, there's a lot of gay folks that are coming to our church now hmm. that are falling in love with Jesus and seeking to steward their sexuality the same way I am, like faithfully to Jesus. I'm just doing it in the context of marriage. They're doing it in the context of singleness. And, and I, I'm wondering, why aren't there more? Why aren't there any? I don't know of any trans people in our church. I would love to communicate that this is where else, where else is the place yeah. to explore Jesus other than the church? Where is it? And, and if we are, if we are not, not just mocking on Twitter, but if we're suspicious of a very flamboyant trans individual coming into the doors of our church on a Sunday, no wonder, yeah. no wonder the church, they, no wonder it's not safe for them. Yeah. No wonder they've never experienced a place where their story can be told. And no one's asking in our church, no one, well, a couple are, but we're standing firm. <laughs> no one's yeah. asking for us to shift, shift our theology. What they are wondering is, can I come out as gay here or do I have to keep hiding? That's what they're wondering. Right. And, and my goodness, I, I just think the mission of the church is requiring a mood, a mood, a mood shift. I would call it a mood shift where the fruit of the spirit is on full display along with a radical commitment to orthodoxy mm. around marriage and sexuality and everything else. Curiosity. I just think curiosity needs to lead the way. Like fascinating. I'm so glad you're here. Tell me more. Yeah. yeah that's so good, man. I, I feel like that's how Jesus approached people. You know, even the story of the, the woman at the well, you know, is full of Jesus asking her 
questions, you know, and not necessarily just trying to preach at her. And I just, I mean, that is, I think what people need today is they need that curiosity and it does like curiosity and open-mindedness to me does not mean like, yeah, I'm just going to be open to being influenced by like whatever crazy, you know, like, let's say I end up talking to a white supremacist, like I'm not going to be open-minded where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm totally willing. Like if this person makes a compelling argument to white supremacy, I'm, I'm going to change my view. It's like, no, but I want to hear what led you to where you're at. Like, what's your story? Like in my heart, I'm like this, like white supremacy, like th this person's mindset, it, 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 it disgusts me, but I want to be the kind of pastor and Christian who could sit down with a person like that and hear their story and try to point them to Jesus and not just sit there and shame them, you know, for their belief, because that's not what I see Jesus doing. Like, I don't see him shaming people into the kingdom of God. I see him very patiently wrestling with people just like, you know, Yahweh did with Jacob. Like he wrestles, you know, that's the whole, that's the, that's the name of Israel, right? He wrestles with people. And I, I think, I think right now in the age of deconstruction, like we are, it's so easy for us to become the older elder brother in the prodigal son story and just be like, well, I never walked away. Like that's, that's me. Like I never walked away. Like I never, like I had doubts, but I never had like a crazy period of like, I, I've, I've been in ministry since I was 14 years old and I haven't stopped. And it's so easy for me to slip into that elder brother mentality and start like in my own heart being like, why like that guy I went to Bible college with, like what, why did he walk away? What's wrong with him? It's so easy to get into that mentality and it's wrong. And God keeps just reminding me of my own sin, my own struggle, my own wrestling. Like, yeah, I never publicly deconstructed, but I had a lot of messed up issues in my own heart. God had to work through and is still working through every day. And so, yeah, I mean, I just... I've never successfully pointed anyone to the Lord through shouting at them or bullying them or mocking them. The only success I've ever had is just gently walking with people and having that spirit of curiosity. And, and you're the one who actually uh, introduced me to that term of humble orthodoxy years ago. I, you just posted it on Facebook or something and it stuck with me. Like have faith, like hold on to your beliefs, but hold it humbly. That's been huge, man. Beautiful, Aaron. So good talking with you. This has been the conclusion to the Apathy series on the Good Lion podcast. We're so glad that you could join us for this series, and we hope that it's helped inspire you and equip you and give you resources as you try to walk with Jesus during seasons of struggle and apathy. I'm so blessed that Evan could join us for that final episode. I just think he's got so much wisdom and insight and personal experience to share about so many of these topics that we discuss on the show. So I'm sure we'll have him back. He's a blessing and a gift, and we love having him on the show. Brian and I are wrapping up this season, and we're so excited to look towards 2023 to see how the Lord is going to use the show. One thing you can be praying for me and Brian is that next year in 2023, both of us are going to try to take Good Lion on the road a bit and do some speaking at different churches. We've got a huge heart for youth and young adults, and we want to take the things that God has put on our heart, and instead of just talking into a microphone, we want to get in real, tangible 
virtual rooms with people to share these things and to have discussions and to do everything we can to help encourage the body of Christ. So we'd love for your prayers that God would lead us to the right places to go and help provide for us to make those trips and also help us balance just the seasons of ministry and family life we're in. We could definitely use some prayer and encouragement for that. Now, I'll just say this could be the last episode of the season, or there might be a few more episodes that trickle out before the year's end. Uh, I can't really say. We'll see what happens. But all that to say, I I just want to say thank you so much for those of you guys who listen to this show and who find it encouraging. And thank you for those of you who've reached out to let Brian and I know how much this show has blessed you and encouraged you. Honestly, that that helps us so much. Uh, Another thing that helps is leaving reviews. And that's really a practical thing because reviews help people find the show. The more reviews we get on Apple Podcasts, the more people find our show. So go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It'll help us a ton. Thanks for listening. We love you. We are praying for you. And if there's anything we can do to help you in your journey with Jesus, don't hesitate to reach out. We're, we're not just a podcast, like we're a ministry. So you can reach us at our website, goodlion.org. That's the ministry website that Brian and I run. And you can fill out the form and send us an email. You can also just find me on Instagram at Aaron Salvato. Uh, and you can leave me a message anytime. And I usually respond to those. So feel free to reach out. Even if you just need prayer as you're struggling with apathy, I'd love to be praying for you. Thanks for listening. And until next time, you've been listening to the Good Line Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato, signing off. See you next season.